Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. My name is Bryce Newberger, and this is my story. I grew up in a home with a mother who was mentally broken. She would be kind and nice and caring and a good mother. Then, with certain triggers, she would snap and become violent, enraged, and murderous. I would see my father struggle to keep her sane day in and day out, and I would lie awake at night listening to her try to stab him with random sharp objects. Her insanity spilled out onto my brothers and I, as one day she would state, I hate you, you're not my son, I hate you. So feeling lost and unloved, I frequently ran away from home and would spend some nights stuck on the streets. Sometimes the police picked me up, sometimes no one noticed, and other times I was kicked out of my house. I turned to self-abuse and self-harm, and through this all, I attended church as it was another great excuse to get out of the prison of a home. I loved Jesus, but I didn't allow him to help. I shut him out while I was looking to anyone else who could love me. One day, I decided I would commit suicide. So I grabbed a knife, and I started to thrust it into me, and then I heard a voice in my head, a small subconscious voice say, instead of killing yourself, why don't you die to yourself and live for me? And I realized that was Jesus. So I decided I would. Uh, I got involved in my church, running soundboard, helping staff the children's ministry, acting on skit teams. And then I, uh, I learned that Jesus never promised that I wouldn't feel any more pain. Uh, I've since had my fair share of pain. My mother's health didn't clear up. My time of hurt didn't pass. Since then, I've suffered a lot of loss and some death. But Jesus promised to love me, and he does. Now, as a husband and father of two, I thank God for my scars because I know what it's like to be a child who says, notice me, mommy, and play with me, daddy. And my children will never know that feeling. I was shown a picture of a couple who stuck through hurt and pain and death, and now I see two heroes. I see a woman who, in spite of her own personal demons and self-destruction, loved me as best she could and fought to love me every day in face of her failures. As a husband, I, stood, I saw a husband who stood with his woman, even when she stabbed him and repeatedly, and, and, and she hated him. And I still have moments of, of horror and depression, but they know their place now. They don't control me. See, Jesus turned my torture into willing sacrifice for those I love. And through it all, I wouldn't change one part of my story because Jesus used it to give me the eyes to see my children, the heart to love my wife regardless of expectation, and the strength to say that God is good even in the midst of death. I'm Gabe. I'm the worship pastor here and part of the preaching team. And we've done these life stories, what Bryce just shared. We've done those every week since the beginning of the year. And every time, every time, it knocks us to our, to our butts. You know, it's just this incredible thing. We just see the grace of God. Here's who I was before Jesus. Here's how I found Jesus. And here's who I am now. It's simple. And it's funny, all the... the strategies and things, you know, the effort and time we put in, the most powerful thing that we can probably witness is just somebody standing up here with a piece of paper shaking and saying, this is who I am. This is what God's done. There's something incredibly profound about the simple gospel of just Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there's a temptation today that maybe the gospel, just it's, it's outdated, it's not enough, it's not palatable enough. We've got we've to dress it up. Maybe Jesus needs a, a new PR manager, some better business cards, a rebranding, a refresher. Maybe it's 2,000 years old. It's, it's too outmoded, outdated, and, and 
there's this temptation to do that. And so we started this series a while back ago called Simple Truth because we, we feel like we're in a time that's, that's very, uh, everybody's ready to fight about this or about that. You know, you just hop on Facebook for about, uh, I don't know, 0.5 seconds. And there's an argument about to break out. It's a, the most divisive time ever. And in Corinth, where we're studying uh, 1 Corinthians, it was a divisive time in the church. And so we did this series because we believe that the simple truth of the gospel is the answer to the divisions. And somewhere, uh, Paul believes this too. He believes that, that not only is the simple truth of the gospel just Jesus Christ and him crucified, not only is it enough, but it's necessary. It has to be just that, unadded to just that. That has to be our starting point. And so today we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 5. So you got your Bibles, you can flip there. And last week, Tim closed out chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, he kind of just, he's, he's going down memory lane, right? And he's, he's talking about who they were. And uh, I think it's kind of funny to think about, this is a letter that was read out loud to a church, right? And here's what he writes to be read out loud to these people. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That is not a compliment. Not many of you were wise. You guys weren't the, the sharpest tools in the shed, if you remember, when I got there. He says, not many of you were powerful. Again, not a compliment. And not many of you were of noble birth. Ouch. <laughs> like, like, this is read out loud. Like, turn on the lights, look around. Do you remember who you were? When I got there, you were a little bit dumb, you were weak, and your family tree, not too great. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. This was God's plan. He did this on purpose. Remember who you were? Not too bright, not too powerful, not a great family tree. God did that on purpose. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Not because of your standing, not because you were clever enough, not because of anything you could do, not because of your family tree, but because of him. He chose you. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. This is what you became, you, righteousness. You were, you were made right with God. Sanctification, you were, you were given a new purpose. You were cleaned up, and he said, this is what you're going to be used for now. Your life was about this. Now it's going to be about this. And redemption... You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. He redeemed you. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, in our passage, uh, he just reminded them of who they were. And I was going to talk about, remember how I came to you? Remember who you were? Remember what I said when we first met? 
Remember how I came to you with the gospel? So we're going to actually get, uh, Paul's going to walk down memory lane of like how he shared the gospel with them. So we're going to use this passage to just kind of draw some conclusions of how to approach people the gospel. This is what Paul did, so I think we should probably learn from it. It's probably pretty good stuff. And we're going to pull out some conclusions. When you're approaching people the gospel, this is three points on what you should do and not do. Okay? So he goes, remember when I came to you. Point one, it's this. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And I, when I came to you, brothers... I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimonies of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Interesting. I came to you, brothers, not coming proclaiming the testimonies of God with lofty speech or wisdom. It's like I didn't use the, the greatest words or, or, or eloquence. I, I didn't use the best rhetoric I could have. I almost picture like, you know, like Chris Farley from SNL, you know. I didn't use the fanciest words, or maybe I didn't smell good. (laughs) But he didn't do this because he didn't have the ability. Paul, he could do it if he wanted to. He was a sharp, sharp guy. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was was, uh, trained in Greek thought. He studied, studied under the best rabbis. He was also a Roman citizen. He knew how to argue. But it says he chose to do this. I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was his plan to not be so sharp or eloquent. Just to strip it back to the simple truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why on earth would that be his strategy? It reminds me of a little bit of Paul's history. If you want to know about Paul and about the church and about kind of how things were going, you can look in the book of Acts. It talks about how the church grew, and all these characters that have written these letters, you can read a little bit about their story. And in Acts 17, there's a story about uh, Paul preaching the gospel, and this was before he came to Corinth. It's one of these events, and it's a story about when he approached these people at a place called Mars Hill. And that name might sound familiar because there's some churches named Mars Hill. And, and, and this has been a very talked about story in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read it to you because it's one of the most brilliant speeches Paul has ever delivered. Here's what he says. He says, so Paul standing in the midst of them, he goes to this place where they're worshiping all these pagan gods, right? And he says this, men of Athens, I perceive that you, that you in every way are very religious. He, he, he pumps them up. He meets them where they're at. He says, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, as I came into this place where you're gathering and observed, I noticed something. I found also an altar with the inscription that says, to the unknown God. Very clever. Brilliant strategy. He found something that, that they already had, and he's going to use it as a, as a stepping stone to relate to them. To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's kind of like 
all the history of humanity he's speaking to, and he's leading it somewhere, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's in quotations there. He quotes something, not from the Bible, just a clever uh, reference to something they had heard before. He says, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. He's, he's met them where they're at. He's relating things that he's taken. It's, it's very, very sharp and brilliant, this clever speech of rhetoric. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In the times of, of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed, and he has given assurance to all by his raising from the dead. Now he's brought it all the way to Jesus. Really clever. And people take this story and they go, wow, that's a good strategy. We should follow this strategy. And they've even outlined it. But the interesting thing about it, if we read the next verses, is you would expect them to like get up and like this is applaud and, and start following him because he's given this great line of logic and all these brilliant things. But here's, here's their response. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, oh, we will hear you again about this. This is interesting. Let's talk more about this. So Paul went out from their midst, and some men joined. So there was some response. But if you compare it to the rest of his journeys and stuff, this was actually like the worst outcome of all of his other ones. To Paul, this was a failed ploy. I think that's why when he came to Corinth sometime after, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, like, never again will I do that. No, when I came among you, I didn't come with, with fancy words of wisdom. No, I came to you, and I decided to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when you're approaching people with the gospel, here's the, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't use clever strategies or pitches, sales pitches, but stick to just Christ and him crucified. This is Paul's strategy. The second point is this. Keep it real. Let your weakness speak of the strength of God. Keep it real. And this comes out of verse 3. It says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This, when I was studying this, this bothered me. I, I got stuck on this. I'm like, what is Paul talking about? What does he mean he was with them in weakness and in fear and much trembling? Because to me, Paul is like, you know, I'm a Bible nerd, so Paul's like, he's like Batman, right? He's, he's, he's crazy. He gets tossed out of cities and beaten up, and he wipes the blood off, and he goes back in and preaches the gospel. This is what Paul does. If you want to get a little quick snapshot of, of the stuff that Paul's been through, there's this really funny part in the next letter he writes to the Corinthians in chapter uh, 11, where he's, he's talking about all the things that he's been through. 
in his life of living for Jesus. And he's doing this because the church has started to go through a little bit of persecution and people were like seeking out the persecution and then, then bragging about it. Like, this is what I did, you know. And Paul's like, he's basically kind of putting them down, you know, in the Lord. You know, like, like here's what he says. He, it's, it's funny because he keeps having to clarify, like, this isn't the godly thing to do, you know, to brag, but let's play that game for a little bit. Let's, if we were going to boast, let me, let, me, let me play the fool a little bit. Let me boast with you a little bit. This is what he says in, in 11.16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as the fool, so that I too may boast a little. And what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's like, okay, I'm going to play the boasting game with you, but just... This isn't the holy thing to do. He's clarifying. No, I'm speaking as a, as a fool, as an idiot. And it might sound a little familiar, you know. There's a lot of sarcasm in the Bible uh, if, you, if you read the context. It's not me. Paul's sarcastic. He says, but what, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they a Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He throws that in there, just so you know. You know. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not like, but like, you know, like rocks being thrown at you. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure that is on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. No, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So to me, like, here Paul says, remember when I came to you, I came to you in fear? I came to you in weakness? I came to you in trembling? I'm like, what makes Paul scared? This guy's been through it all. It's in that weakness. That's, that's the cue. And it's not just like fear, like we read in the Bible, like fear the Lord. The word is phobias, which is where we get the word phobia. Like, no, this thing terrifies me, like, like clowns at night or something. Whatever terrifies you, this terrifies Paul. This thing makes me tremble. The word is trauma. So it's where we get the word trauma. Traumatic. This thing was traumatic for Paul. He's trembling. He's shaking. It's his weakness. It's his vulnerability. It's, he, it's coming to them not as Paul the orator, but Paul the sinner who's been redeemed by God. 
I think of uh, these life stories, you know, this, this fear and trembling and, and weakness. And, and every time we, we do these life stories, we call the person up and we ask them if they'd be willing to, to share their story. And almost every time it's like, uh, I'm terrified to do that. No, maybe. I don't, I don't want to, basically is what they say, but I think I should. It's very interesting. And they do it, and it's profound, and it's incredible, but it's this, this vulnerability. Because essentially they're putting themselves out there as, you know, I'm flawed. I'm a sinner in need of a great Savior. Every time we do it, I tell the person, hey, I'll be on the stage, I'll be right behind you in case you need me. And every time they do it, I watch their hands tremble. It's funny because I talked to Bryce last night and he's like, I'm afraid to hold the piece of paper because I know it's going to, they're like, you know, do this thing. This terrifies Paul. This terrifies, I try to imagine what Paul's life story would be like, you know, if he were up here and he got up here and he's like, I am, I'm Paul, um, the Paul. <laughs> Not to be confused with Simon. I tell that joke every time. Uh, who I was uh, before Jesus. Um, I was raised in a religious home. It was a good home. is very strictly religious. The kind of religion where you, you get your hand smacked if you're doing the wrong thing. But I was good at it. I was good at, at checking all the boxes. I was good at, at keeping the rules over and over again. And as I kind of grew in that, if I'm honest, I kind of built up a little resentment for those who weren't good at keeping the rules. My resentment kind of turned to mocking. I remember the first time I heard of Jesus and his followers, I, I mocked him. I made fun of him. Eventually, my mocking turned into hatred. I hate to admit this, but you know, the first Christian that was killed, I was there. I was holding their coats while they threw the rocks. And then I just got angry. How could this, this grace thing exist? I, I, I got to put this thing out because it's, it's not reverent. But really, that wasn't the deal. The deal was I was used to the checking the boxes and I wanted it to be that neat because then I had control and I had good standing. And so I made it my personal ambition to throw in jail and persecute every last one of you guys. How I came to know Jesus, I uh, was on this road and Jesus appeared. And it was blindingly bright. I mean, literally, I was knocked on my butt and I couldn't see but that didn't hurt as bad as the words that I heard, which were, why are you persecuting my church? And I knew that my hands were stained. But I encountered grace. He sanctified me. He gave me a new mission. He changed my name. His people brought me in. They, they bandaged me up. They prayed over me. And I once was blind, but now I see. Who I am 
sense. Uh, well, I do what I can. I live for him. I know now I'm a new creation, all that stuff, even though it still kind of haunts me here and there. I'm the chief of all sinners. I, uh, I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to be a slave to him. And I'll do what I can. You know, I, I go and I preach the word. I do live my life in this way for him. Uh, I'll leave, I even write letters to encourage churches. But if I'm honest, you know, it's this constant weakness and grace that I depend upon. You know, I, I, I do the things I don't want to do, the things I want to do, I, I don't do. And I'm riddled with this weakness. I'm riddled, you know, I've asked God three times to just fix it. Every time he says no, and he says my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I've, I've gotten to this point from just enduring it to actually thanking God for it. Because where I am weak, he is strong. See, what terrifies Paul isn't the opposition. It's the vulnerability. He says, remember when I came to you? I came to you not with clever words. I assumed to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And when I came to you, I came to you in weakness. I came to you with the raw, real Paul, not Paul the order, the Roman citizen, the guy who's going to figure it all out, but the guy who is messed up beyond all belief and has received grace and is a new creation. So, when you're approaching people with the gospel, it's very important to keep it simple but also to be authentic about who you are. One of the greatest criticisms of the church is that it's full of hypocrites. That's not on the gospel, that's on us. Because we, we believe this lie that you have to have it all together. If we can just look like this, then we'll live for God. No, you live for God in the weakness and you let God's strength and grace be sufficient and to fill in the gaps. We sing this song, you know, because of love, wave after wave you hit me with. It sounds pretty because it's coming from Caitlin and it sounds beautiful. It's actually kind of mean. I imagine this guy like trying to swim and just wave after wave knocking him down. When Paul's saying, I was woefully inadequate. God, you, you won't take it away. This weakness is in front of me. I'm, I'm riddled with all this weight. And you do it out of love so that I never think that I'm the reason I'm where I'm at. That's hard, but that's real and authentic. So, keep it real. Keep it real. Point three is this. Don't argue. You cannot reason anyone to the faith, so don't argue. He says this in verse four, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. My speech and my message, they weren't in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Don't argue. It's not a matter of reason. 
And there's a big temptation whenever you're trying to reach people with the gospel and they throw these rebuttals out to just try to get in an argument. It's easy to let it shift to an argument. And you will never reason anyone to the faith. There's a big difference between apologetics and evangelism. Okay? And this is, this is hard. I, I fight this temptation all the time. I see, I see even close friends or family members post things on Facebook you know, they're atheist or agnostic, and they're like, you know, I love science.com, and I'll post this blast against Christianity. I think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip them to shreds. And I start typing. Oh, I could do that. I could, I could argue this thing out. You know, I've been to Bible college. I've read some books. I know an answer. This is not that clever of an argument. And then I always have to hit the delete. Because I remember, and I've never argued anyone to the faith. There's a big difference between apologetics and evangelism. Uh, apologetics is the defense of the gospel. Uh, there's not a message where I preach or a time where I talk where I don't speak of Ravi Zacharias. He's a hero of mine. So you check him out. Uh, he's an apologist. It doesn't mean he says he's sorry for the gospel. It means he defends the, the gospel. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which which means to give a word back. It comes out of uh, Peter where he says, always be willing to give a word back for the hope that you have. And so they came up with this whole thing called apologetics where it's creating these reasons for the faith that we have. And the faith is very reasonable. So it's not that faith isn't reasonable. It's just whenever somebody doesn't believe, it's not a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the heart. And even Ravi says that. He goes, he goes, why would I do this with my life if I know that you can never reason anyone to the faith? And he, he argues that, you know, it's just a defense of the gospel. I'm not an evangelist. There's a big difference between him and the goal of somebody who's trying to reach people with the gospel. But sometimes we confuse those two. And when you do that, you're no longer talking about the gospel with somebody. You're in a fight. And what happens is people just get more entrenched in the views they already had. Um, because the gospel is very reasonable. There's reasons for the faith, but at the same time, it, it's not. Like Tim said last week, grace goes against all reason. It doesn't make sense. If you think of grace, how I explained it to my six-year-old girl, uh, is I say that grace is um, getting what you don't deserve. Okay, so, so justice is getting what you do deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. So let's say you're speeding, you're, you're, and you're pulled over, you're caught, you broke the law, justice would be getting the ticket and paying the ticket. I know you, some of you don't like that, but that's justice. Mercy would be, you get pulled over, you were speeding, the cop comes over and he goes, listen, I'm going to let you off with a warning. You deserve the ticket, but I'm going to give you some mercy. You don't get what you deserve. Now, grace is the one that's hard to swallow. It's, it doesn't make sense. That's why we have to be reminded of it all the time, time and time again, because everything we've ever known is merit-based. And grace goes way beyond, way outside the limits of that. Grace would be the, you get pulled over, you're speeding, the cop walks up, you roll down your window, and he says, hey, you were speeding. Not only am I not going to give you the ticket, I'm going to pay the fine to you, give it to you, cash. I'm going to give you some money for gas, and I'm going to pay off your car loan, even though you shouldn't be in one because you went through Dave Ramsey. 
That's, that's like grace upon grace upon grace. He doesn't deserve it. In fact, he's done something that deserves quite the opposite. And so if you're going to try to reason with somebody with grace, at some point it's not going to make sense. And even if it does, it's not going to matter because grace is never a reason problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart issue. The famous atheist uh, Bertrand Russell was debating against a, a Christian apologist, and they were going back and forth. And every time he threw out an argument against the gospel or against you know, the existence of God, there was a great response back. And eventually he just said, you know what? Listen, you guys have great answers to this. They're not bad answers. They're plausible, reasonable answers. But when it comes down to it, I don't want there to be a God. Because if there's a God, that means something. It means I'm not God. It means that there is a God and that I, I have to live for him. And it means there is a right and there is a wrong. You see, the problem isn't a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the heart. It always starts with the heart. So, don't argue. Three points. When approaching people with the gospel, keep it simple. Be real. Don't argue. Why? Why is this Paul's strategy? Why would he do it like this? Well, he tells us in verse 5, he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I had a student when I was a youth pastor um, years ago, I'd do discipleship with, and we'd meet once a week, and we would talk. And he, this guy was a brilliant thinker. He was in high school, and he, he's the ultimate thinker. Everything, he's got to make sense. It's got to process. It's got to be this or that. And I remember, he, he's so much a thinker. I remember one time I said to him, hey, uh, are you hungry? And he's like, I don't know if I've ever known what hunger is. I'm like, Dude, I'm just asking because I want to know if we should grab a burger while we meet or not. Like, but I would talk, and he's a great guy, brilliant. Uh, and I'd try to get him, I'd say, hey, let's read through, you know, John, or let's read through this. And he would really struggle to read his Bible, but he loved to read. He would read all these books about the Bible, but not the Bible. And we, we'd go through this, you know, why don't you just read the Bible? Uh, yeah, I'll get, you know, but he would get, you know, Case for this, and, and Ravi Zacharias this, and C.S. Lewis that, which are all great things that I love personally. But he, he wouldn't get it in the Bible. And I remember when he went off to college, I remember the phone calls I would get, and he would, he would be to the point of tears, frustrated, because the, the professors were, were pounding down on these things and attacking his logic and attacking this and that. And it was hard. Why? Because at that point, his faith was built a little bit upon the wisdom of men, not firmly set upon the foundation of the demonstration of the Spirit, what God had done in his life. Now, it's a great thing to tell you is that in all that, God brought him to that. And I think that's, that's the truth of the gospel. Sometimes we have to be, like Paul's reminding them, remember how I came to you? He's got to knock over our house of cards to show us it's just a house of cards. And God does that so that our faith might not rest upon the wisdom of men, 
but on the power of God. Just Jesus Christ, that Christ part's important. Jesus, a man, was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Him crucified, he died for your sins. There's an answer for the, for the heartache and the evil in your life. This is why Paul takes this approach. This is why he doesn't do the Mars Hills approach anymore. He goes back to this idea that it's just this, so that they will be unified. He's writing to the church of Corinth, and if you keep reading, he's already alluded to it, but there, there's all these divisions among them. They're, they're, they're morally bankrupt at some points. They're doing things that, you know, if you heard, there would be some scandal going on if the, you know, in the news if these churches were doing these things that they're doing. And some of them are even arguing. They're like, well, I, I follow Paul. I follow this guy. And he's like, look, that's not important. Let me get you back. Remember who you were when I got to you? You, you weren't good enough or smart enough or gosh darn it, people didn't even like you. You were just a bunch of sinners in need of a Savior. And you remember how I told you about that? I came to you, not with, with clever words, not with a, but just in weakness and in fear and trembling. Not with plausible arguments of reason, not A plus B equals the gospel, just, just simple Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I did that as a demonstration of the power of God and the power of the Spirit so that your faith wouldn't rest in, in Apollos or me or this or that. He does this to unify them because if you remember what grace is, you remember the story, your life story of, of here's who I was before Jesus, here's what Jesus meant, here's who I am now. It's hard to, to bicker about little things because the, the, the ground's very level at the foot of the cross. We all desperately need Jesus and this is the foundation upon which he's going to build wisdom because wisdom's not the enemy here. In fact, he's going to go into the next passage and talk about the wisdom of the age versus the wisdom of the spirit. He's going to say, there are spiritually mature things, but until you get this, those things aren't even going to make sense. I got nothing to build on. So why does Paul do this method? He does it so that their faith would be built on God rather than clever tactics. He does it so they'll be unified. He does it so that he can build proper wisdom. So here's my conclusion. Sharing the gospel is about letting the power be in the content. Just the simple content of just Jesus Christ and him crucified. But also in the content of you. Your weakness being redeemed. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. The content of your character being real and authentic and living that life out, following after Jesus. The simple truth of Jesus' life and atonement is a fancy word just for him paying for our sins, sacrificing himself, are the only foundation upon which to build wisdom, and it's unifying. So embrace the gospel today. So I'm going to give you two challenges. They're going to be pretty simple, practical things that you can just do. Uh, the first one is this. You need to write your life story. The thing that Bryce shared up here, the thing that you've heard every week for this year, uh, you need to do that. You need to do it for two reasons. 
One is because God needs to use it to touch people. You need to be weak and vulnerable and a little bit scared. You need to let God call you out past the shore into the place where you're wading in the water and it's like toppling you over. The scary place that Paul talks about. The thing that you're terrified of, the weakness. The scary place, the place where you shake and tremble. You need to do your life story. Whether or not you do it here or not, doesn't matter. You can go on our website. There's instructions in your program. You can do it there. Maybe you just need to sit down with a pen and paper and do it. But I would challenge you, no matter what you do, to actually share it, to be that vulnerable with somebody. I had a men's group a couple sessions ago where we actually did our life stories, like the extended version. And uh, I remember the guys were so scared, so nervous. The most terrifying thing many of them had ever done because it was real. I remember one guy said, my wife said, don't share that with them. They're going to kick you out of the church. He didn't get kicked out of the church. Because we all have that story. Story riddled with the wreckage of sin, ours and other people's. So you need to do your life story. You need to articulate it. You need to share it. And uh, if you're scared to do it, I'm not going to tell you that you're not going to be scared because you will be. So do it scared. If you're scared to do it, do it scared. God often calls us to the scary place. We just sang a bunch of songs about it. It just sounds pretty, but it's terrifying. Call me out where my feet can't touch the ground anymore, in the middle of the ocean, where I can barely keep my eyes above the waves. That sounds terrifying to me. But that's where God calls us to because there's no other option but to rely on him. And his grace is sufficient. The other challenge is this. Embrace the simple gospel today. Uh, Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you just need that reminder like Paul's reminding the church. Remember who you were? Remember how I came to you? You've gotten way off track. Life is riddled with sin. You're fighting over stupid things. You need to remember the simple gospel of just Christ and Him crucified and let that reboot the system a little bit. Or maybe you're hearing this for the very first time. You've never understood that concept of grace. That God so loved you that he gave his son for you. That if you might believe that, that God actually paid the way, that there's nothing you can do to make it right, but that he set it right, you might have everlasting life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me and maybe just accept that today. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace and your truth And Lord, we pray that as we embrace this simple truth that it changes and rocks everything. It changes how we speak to one another. It changes what we do, how we move. It changes uh, our purpose that we might be sanctified, set on a mission to proclaim just how good, how deep, how wonderful your love is. I pray for those in here who have never known grace. 
came in here and just going, how am I going to deal with all this garbage, sin, the effects of it so devastating. My own hands are bloody. Other people have just ravaged my life. Sin, the sin of my, my parents, the sin of, of my spouse, the sin of this, the sin of that, and it's just wreaking havoc. I'm looking for the answer. I think I just heard it. That it's in just Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, you paid for it. And today, if you're praying that prayer, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your peace as they take a step in faith, believing that, that you've done it. That the cross covers it, that grace covers over a multitude of sins. Lord, for those of us who, who have known you but gotten off track, who have listened to the wisdom of the age, who have taken small steps out of alignment with the, just the simple truth that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. That we were weak. While we were weak, he died, making us reconciled to God for all eternal days. God, may we be realigned with that truth and may we live our lives no matter how hard it is, no matter what waves you send our way out of love, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We give you today and we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.